All right, let's go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. And we'll continue tonight our series through the book of the Proverbs, these uh, great principles of the book of Proverbs. And tonight, as we look at chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14 tonight. So Proverbs chapter 14, looking at verses 8 through 14. I want to draw our attention to uh, one verse as we begin tonight, and then we'll deal with the other verses. But if you will, go with me to verse 14 of Proverbs 14. The Bible says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Now this word backslider is an extremely interesting word. It's a word that has been part of uh, the Christian vernacular for many, many years. But it's also a word that is often misunderstood and misapplied. Uh, oftentimes, the word backslider, we automatically apply it to anybody who seems to be unfaithful in a certain element of their walk. Or uh, we might declare somebody who has uh, forsaken the assembly themselves together for a while by not being in church. Whatever the case may be, oftentimes we, uh, we immediately lump a lot of different circumstances and situations into what we would call a backslider. Now, what's interesting about the word, the actual word backslider, is that this is the only verse in all of Scripture, as far as the King James Version goes, where the actual word backslider is found. Now, there are a few other times in the book of Hosea and in the book of Jeremiah where the, the word backsliding is used, but this word backslider is only found here in this particular text. It's generally, not to get too academic tonight, but it is generally used as an adjective. And several times, it's used as a noun. What's very interesting on top of all that is that that word, neither backslider or backsliding, is anywhere to be found in the New Testament. So it seems to be an emphasis on the Old Testament for backslider or backsliding. Now, if we were to try to put this into a, a situation where maybe we, we get a working definition, a working biblical definition, we might put it this way. A backslider is one who has given up ground once taken for God. A backslider is one who has given up ground once taken for God. In other words, it's a person who was once walking with God. Now again, it's important that we understand that backsliding, a backslider, uh, is different, and we're going to learn about this tonight, than an apostate. An apostate is different than a person who is called a backslider. So a backslider, or a person who is backslidden, is a person who gives up in heart long before it is witnessed in their life. In other words, backsliding is something that we say happens all of a sudden. In other words, uh, we, didn't, we, didn't, we only see the result of what happened a long time ago. In other words, you don't get up on a Sunday morning and suddenly no longer walk with God. 
it happens over a period of time. And before you show evidence of it, you have already given up in heart. Your heart has already quit, but yet it doesn't evidence itself right away. Oftentimes what begins happening in a backslidden person is their conscience becomes what we'll refer to as defiled or corrupt. The Bible refers to having a seared conscience. The the conscience no longer responds to the things in which it used to say this is wrong. Which leads to a lack of self-judgment. In other words, what I stop doing is I stop judging my own actions. I now begin to just simply, my conscience is seared. Conscience is seared. I have, I, I'm no longer judging, is my action right? If I don't judge myself daily, according to the truth of God's Word, I am, a, I am in danger of giving up in heart. The phrase backslider in heart is really an interesting phrase the way Solomon writes this because the backslider in heart, it tells us an indication that first and foremost, backsliding is a result of a heart problem. That heart problem is what created that or made that situation first. Oftentimes we say a person backslides and then the heart goes. It's the other way around. You give up in heart before you actually backslide. There are, there are thousands of people who sit in churches every single year, Sunday after Sunday, who've given up in heart a long time ago. They're, they're there. Uh, they're picking up the hymn book. They're singing the hymns, maybe not like they once sang them before. They used to sing the hymns with such joy. Uh, they're following along when the Scripture's being read, but they're following along because it's just what they do. They're not really taking in what the Scriptures are saying. They gave up in heart a long time ago. And that's the danger of backsliding. Now again, remember this. It's interesting. We're living in the, living in the New Testament age, or the New Testament era, we'll refer to it that, but yet the Bible doesn't speak of a backslider. It doesn't use that word. But yet the Old Testament does. What happens as judgment stops, the conscience is seared, you've given up in heart, your testimony then becomes shattered. Now, your testimony becomes, I'm living for myself. A backslider is living for themselves. Once you give up in heart, then your conscience is seared. Once your conscience is seared, you stop judging yourself, and before you know it, you're living for yourself only. Now, we've often just defined a backslider as somebody who fell out of church. It's so much deeper than that. And I would tell you, just because a person is out of church doesn't mean that they're actually backslidden. Now, again, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for a believer to be out of church. If they're able to be in church, it's a bad idea to be out of church for any extended period of time. Because the church is partly where we are edified. We're reminded of the great truths of God. Corporate worship matters. We edify one another when we're all together. And I know the last few months have created a different environment, but under normal circumstances, coming to the house of God to worship with each other is a help and an encouragement. Sometimes it's interesting that 
when we're in a condition like this, we don't realize we're living for ourselves. Now, what he talks about here in these particular verses in Proverbs 14, beginning there in verse 7, is the verse we left off. Remember, we're leading to this, this principle of the backslider in heart. And we left with verse 7 last week that said, Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Now, we dealt with this particular verse. And that foolish man is a man who has refused or is refusing to receive good. Uh, he no longer receives the goodness of the, the word of God or the good words in which you speak to him. He, he's, he's, he can no longer, he no longer can be dealt with. An example of somebody who did this was Samuel. When Samuel in the Old Testament stopped coming to see Saul, Saul became, he was, he was not accepting reproof from Samuel any longer. And Samuel gave him up. He went from the presence of that foolish man. But you'll notice here that in that same verse, in verse 7, it says, When thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. The lips of knowledge. Friends, when it, when it becomes evident that a man is bent on foolishness with no concern about his righteousness, it's best to leave him to himself. Now, this goes against our Christian nature. And remember, I mentioned to you last week, we've got to be very careful about determining when we leave someone, but there are times in life when a person will no longer receive reproof, when they will no longer receive they have no concern about righteousness. To argue with a person such as that is a useless situation. Now, why is it useless? Because the more you try to convince a person who doesn't want to receive truth, the more pride you give to that foolish man. You, you actually embolden him. You make him more bold in his foolishness when you continue to argue with a man, or a woman for that matter, who does not want to receive truth. And remember we read in 2 Timothy 3, last, uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 last week, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, from those type people, from such, turn away. Again, it goes against our, our Christian nature, our Christian character to quote-unquote turn away from someone. But there are situations where it is not doing you any good and it's not doing them any good. Uh, over the years, uh, churches have tried to figure out how do you make somebody who doesn't want to be under the sound preaching of God's Word, how do you make them show up or come back? The reality is there's absolutely nothing you can do to make a person who does not want and is not concerned about their righteousness, there's nothing you can do to make them come back in heart. Churches have tried all kinds of gimmicks over years to try to get people to come back and to stay. They've tried all sorts of things to try to get people, attract people. And it's interesting that if you have to attract a person who has no concern about righteousness, if you have to attract them with something other than the Word of God, you are doing nothing but emboldening their foolishness. If the Word of God is not enough attraction for the believer, you're dealing with somebody 
who is in is already or very close to a full-fledged backslidden condition. When the word of God doesn't become enough, when it's not enough, you're in a situation where you're dealing with a foolish man who sometimes we have to very simply, we have to turn away. What Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that verse was having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. There are plenty of people who are religious people who are backsliders in heart. They're religious people. They go through the ceremony. They go through the procedure. They have an outward appearance. But they really are not concerned about righteousness. They're really not concerned about pleasing God. They gave their heart, they gave up on their heart a long time ago. Now, again, for us that are watching this take place, this is difficult. We've heard the expression to let God work. But there's never a situation where God needs us to work. God uses us, no doubt, but He doesn't need us. There's a big difference in God needing and using us. God uses a preacher of the Word, but He doesn't need that preacher. He uses him to deliver His message. He uses you and I to deliver His message. For that backslider in heart, we can pray for their return. We can pray that God will do a mighty work in their heart. But there are times when that person will not receive the counsel. Now, we go back at our text in Proverbs 14. The next verse says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. So the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. What this word means is not necessarily to have a complete understanding of it, but to understand his way means he looks at it carefully. In other words, a prudent man is always taking note, is this the way God wants it to be? You know, sometimes we become so theologically deep that we oftentimes lose the practical question. You know, we could use a lot of giant terms. I mean, we, we are very, I believe, in grounding us very deeply in doctrine. But sometimes the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is this God's way? Is this God's way? Is, am I living the way God wants me to live? Am I, am I uh, speaking the way God wants me to speak? Am I doing these things that I need to be doing? It shows that we are trying to live according to God's way. But notice what he says on the other side of that. He says, but the folly of fools is deceit. The prudent has the wisdom to be guided. The foolish man is deceived by his own desires. You see, a fool has no desire for this type of wisdom. A fool, his heart is false. His, his heart leads to deception from his lips. He's deceived, so he speaks deception. He mentions in verse 9, and we'll come back to this in a moment, he makes a mock, or rather, he mocks at sin. 
He doesn't consider sin to be that bad. He doesn't ever say there's a need of repentance. It's useless to try to get that man to turn from his foolish, disobedient course. Why do you and I as believers tonight, why do we have acceptance with God? Because at some point in our life, we realize the heinousness of our sin. We realize there was a need of repentance. We judged ourselves according to the standard of God's Word. And we bowed to God's holiness and justice. We acknowledge that God is the only way through Christ His Son. So, the result is what? We walk in obedience to God. Our walk demonstrates we've been accepted to God. Now, we all become acceptable to God because of what we do. It's an outward evidence that we've been accepted by God because of the way we walk. But the fool is deceived. He goes on again in verse 9. He says, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. It's an interesting phrase. What does it mean for the fool to make a mock at sin? Well, maybe it should be said this way. Sin mocks the fool. In other words, the the fool never gets the gratification or the satisfaction or the pleasure they expected to get from that sin. In other words, instead of getting what they wanted, sin mocks them. Sin now makes fun of them. But among the righteous, there is favor. Now this doesn't imply in any way, shape, or form that our salvation is based upon the ground of anything that we do. It's not based upon the legal works. It's not based upon our our righteousness. It's It's not based on anything that you and I do. But you'll know the example of Abraham. Abraham's example showed that a man, not until a man is justified by faith, are his very works even declared to be righteous. So my works and my actions are not even righteous until I've been declared acceptable to God. Now again, we're going somewhere with that idea also of the acceptability to God. My good deeds are not the channel in which causes myself to be justified or to be born again. My good deeds are not the channel. It doesn't cause me to be justified. It doesn't cause me to be born again. But the fool who makes a mock at sin is one who refuses instruction. Says, I will not listen to the instruction. Now, there's an example we'll pick up in in Jeremiah 44, if you'd like to turn over there. Again, when I give us these these verses to illustrate, sometimes it's difficult because you you don't get the full context, but this does illustrate this principle of a fool making a mock at sin who refuses to acknowledge God. Now, Jeremiah 44, in this particular section, has to do with... The idolatrous sin of Judah. Okay, Judah had a, had a real issue with idolatry. 
And we see in this text, in, in Jeremiah 44, beginning verse 15, it says, Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt, in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men. That gives us an example of... of Judah saying there back in verse uh, 16, we will not hearken unto thee. And friends, there are people today who are that bold. I don't know if bold is the right word. But they say, I will not hearken unto God. Now, sometimes we use that and we say a person who is in a backslidden condition has that attitude. I will not hearken unto God. There's where we're starting to see a line between the difference between a backslider and an apostate. We have, we have justified the actions of many, many people by simply trying to use a term. Backsliding, in, in, in my opinion, over the years has become the lesser of two evils, if you're going to use a word. We're, we're careful not to call a person apostate, but we almost say they're just backslidden, as if that's minor. When in some cases, they're not in fact backslidden, they're actually apostate. Now, an apostate is one who is refusing the truth of God altogether. They have said, I don't want anything to do with God. Now, I would tell you, if you're reading that example in Jeremiah 44, that reads more like apostates than it does backsliders. We will not hearken unto God. But we understand that there are, throughout Scripture, those who do hearken to the Word of God. So we know that there are those who do and those who don't. Proverbs 14, verse 10 the heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. Nobody can sympathize with the sorrow of a man's or the joys of a man's heart better than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We know in Hebrews 4.15, the Bible tells us about the Son of Man or about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, that He alone can, bury, can bear our sorrows or bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Hebrews 4, verse 15, if you'd like to turn there. This is in the section about the great high priest. For we have not 
a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in and, and grace to help in time of need. Now, this is again leading us somewhere. Backsliding is not always the result of a, of a rebellion of, our, of ourselves. In other words, there are circumstances. Many a person who has found themselves as a backslider in heart became a backslider in heart because of the sorrows of their heart. Now what that means is, is we have all, at varying times in our life, and I think this is true, everyone that's here at some point in time, have had a bitter sorrow of the heart. That circumstance, the circumstances that lead to that, have sometimes led an individual to, for whatever reason, pull away from the things of God. Sometimes they pull away because their heart is so filled with sorrow. Yet, Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest who can deal with the sorrows of our heart. He understands what the sorrows of our heart are. Remember, the backslider in heart actually gives up the heart before it shows up evidenced. There are people and circumstances who are a backslider in heart who are not in a situation where they are rebelling against God or shaking their fist at God saying, I refuse to hearken to your word. They are people who've been driven into that condition because their sorrowful heart has overtaken them. We always seem to equate backslidden with a person who is in a rebellious state. And yet the backslider in heart sometimes is there because the heart has been broken. Now, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thought. Notice the phrase he uses. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. And by the way, nobody knows your own heart better than the Lord and yourself. Like, you know tonight, right now, where the condition of your heart, in a sense. Now, we all know about the depravity of our own heart. We know about that. But only you know what's going on inside of you. Only you know, is my heart broken? Am I carrying sorrow? Am I carrying burdens? I've watched people over the years who were faithful to services all the time. They were, if you had something going on, they were always there. Suddenly, what happens though, they disappear. And the reason they disappeared is because they were carrying a burden and a bitterness in their heart that finally revealed itself. It showed up, but it had been there for a long time. See, we always put the backslidden as the reason why things happen. But the reality is, if something happens with the heart, the backslidden condition is the evidence that something went wrong with the heart. Something went wrong with it. Now, you look at that phrase, intermeddle with his joy. One commentator put it this way. He said, every heart has a secret joy or sorrow 
that nobody else ever shares. All of us have something in our heart that nobody else knows about. Sometimes it's a secret sorrow or a secret joy. Nobody knows about it. Grief, griefs and joyful things are sometimes too great for our words to even describe. They're hidden from the sight of other people. Nobody else sees that deep sorrow or that joy. But you know it's there. I've told you, and, and those that have been around a while, I told you that season, and I don't, I don't want to, don't, please don't let me bring this up as any way of pointing back to me, but that dark season of depression that some of you know I went through a number of years ago, there were things going on in my heart that nobody else knew about. It wasn't necessarily evidence to the outside. But yet, they were the secret things of the heart that actually led to a place where I can physically tell you, even as I was pastoring a church, that I, my heart gave up. I'll tell you without any hesitation at all, I was probably in a backslidden condition while pastoring a church. Based upon... Sorrows, not because I just woke up one day and said, God, I don't want to follow you anymore, but the heart had become so filled with sorrow that I was just, I had just given up. See, backslidden and backsliding is not always this thing that we try to package it and say, man, you just must, you must be an awful, wicked person. Listen, there are deep sorrows. And like I've told everyone who's ever asked me about that time of depression, you go through it, but you shouldn't stay there. At some point, you have got to remember, remind yourself of the promises of God's Word. You've got to get back in the Word. You've got to get on your face before God. You have, to, you have to get yourself back up and say, listen, I'm going to believe God more than my own heart, no matter how sorrowful it is right now. I'm going to believe God more. And what begins to happen is that heart begins to heal. Nobody... No person on this planet could heal my heart at that time. Not my wife, not my children, not the church I was pastoring. You didn't have the words to say. God had to do the healing. But we understand that only God knows the depths of the anguish of soul. Only Christ knows what it is to have a sorrowful heart. Christ is our high priest. We can take, go to Him with our heaviest sorrows. We can share with Him our, 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 our frustrations. We can share with Him our hurts. I was over here Sunday morning by myself talking to God about some things. I'm not going to tell you what they were. I was talking to God about some things. We call it prayer. I was talking to God. And I was, I was just simply telling Him, here's some things that are going on in my heart right now, and I know that you're the only one. You're the only one that can carry these. And yet, this heart is described the heart knows his own bitterness and joy. 
Solomon returns to this principle of the wicked and the upright. Verse number 11, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown. Now again, he still has in mind here, there are the wicked, there are the evil, there are those who are willfully against God. Notice the contrast here. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle or tent of the upright shall flourish. Notice the contrast here. The house and the tent. Which one is actually going to remain standing? The tabernacle, the tent. The one that doesn't seem as strong, but the one that seems to be the most firmly and strongly built is the one that's going to perish. Now we get a little bit of this understanding when we go all the way back to Proverbs 3, verses 33 through 35. Uses this same illustration of the house. Proverbs 3, 33. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. By way of an application, if a person reads the wisdom that Solomon has write, written with, if a person reads the Word of God and still misses the path of life, it will not be for lack of warning or insufficient instruction. The wicked and the righteous are being contrasted here often. It talks about the house of the lawless and the tent of the righteous. The house seems to be more stable, but its foundations will be destroyed because they are built on sinking sand. This goes right to where we are in society today. It looks like the wicked are standing, and it looks like the believers are falling, but it's actually the opposite. What appears to be the firmest is actually what's going to be destroyed. That's the wicked. And yet, these promises, all of these things affect the heart. I told you last week or last Sunday, I, I am seeing, it just seems as if believers are losing heart at an unbelievable pace. Now, there are sorrowful things happening. There are difficult things happening. But do not lose heart. Don't give up your heart. Don't allow your heart to be taken. You give up your heart, you're going to find yourself being that backslider in heart. And yet, we have these promises in front of us. Verse 12, he says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. A man thinks he's on the right road, and yet he truly is on the wrong road. He will end up perishing. The end thereof are the ways of death. Man in his nature chooses his own way. Remember, this goes back to that fool that you can't argue with. There are people that are convinced that the path they're on is right. And nothing you tell them is going to change it. You say, I just got to show them more Scripture. You're not going to change their mind. Now again, I don't believe that we're given a time when we are to give up, but I also do understand that there are people who are opposed to the truth of God. There's a way 
There's many ways in the world. If you were to ask, go out onto a, a typical city street, ask somebody, what's the way to heaven? You'll probably get 10 different answers. You'll get 10 different avenues, 10 different ways, 10 different paths, but there's only one way. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ alone. That's it. There's only one solution to the problem that your heart endures. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one problem. There's only one solution to the problems in which our nation faces today, the world's facing. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be found in politics. It's not going to be found in any, any, anything in this present system world. That's not where the answer is found. It's found in the gospel. Now, we can use those things as a way to help us, but that's not where our hope is. That's why I believe there's Christians who appear to be losing heart because they're not putting their faith and trust in the only one who can solve the problem. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you shouldn't have to tell a believer where they need to turn their heart to or where they need to turn their mind to. I told you, I can remember the day I gave up. I can remember it. I gave up. That's it. I'm done. I, I'm giving up my heart. It was, a, it was actually a verbal decision. I give up. Went through the motions for months. Just go through the motions. A backslidden pastor. There's a high, there's a high demand for those guys. Guess what? It, it can happen. Men get up in the pulpit every week and people think, well, they got it all together. They've got this all figured. This can't happen to them. Backsliders are only the people in the congregation. Oh no, there's been backsliders in hearts standing in pulpits. It's not that they hate God. Circumstances have brought them to a place where now they've given up ground that was once for God. They've given it up. But yet we see, isn't this interesting? Verse 13, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. Now, think about this for a minute. That doesn't even make sense to the human reason. How can there be laughter in a heart that's sorrowful? Because here's the reality. God's teaching us with this truth that nothing can satisfy the soul of man but Him. I can be laughing on the outside and heartbroken on the inside. My only satisfaction is found in Christ alone. Look what it says. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Those who refuse to find the way, those who refuse the way, Find, choose a life of their own choosing. They will never find true joy. They'll never find any confidence. They live a life full of doubt and uncertainty. They laugh, but their heart is not at rest. You know, there's a lot of things that we deal with in our life that I think that word, heaviness, it's a good descriptive word. Some, sometimes people ask you, what are you going through? And the, the words that you'll use is it's something very heavy. Now, it's not 
heavy weight-wise per se, but it's, it's heavy on the heart. It's, it's, it's something that is, is led us to a place of doubt and uncertainty. The backslider in heart begins to question everything about themselves. They question their life. They question their calling. They question their choices. It becomes, <laughs> I am what was once for God has now been given up. I've given that up. Again, maybe that's not the right phrase. That's the way my, that's the way my mind is working this. But the backslider in heart, it says, shall be filled with his own ways. And I love this. And a good man shall be satisfied. Notice your Bible doesn't say with himself. It says from himself. The backslider in heart, the one who has given up that ground that was once for God, shall be filled with his own ways. In Psalm 44, verse 15, I want you to see this passage. Uh, Psalm 44, verse 15 through 22 this particular psalm deals with remembering the past as part of it. And this psalmist is begging God to search his heart. In Psalm 44, verse 15, My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger. All this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Now, they had a lot of circumstances that were leading them to wonder, should I just quit, right? But look what he says, our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death, if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. This psalmist is saying, we have endured all of this and yet we've never turned back from you. We've never... We've never turned from your name. Why are all these things happening to us? And they're coming to the conclusion, all these things are happening by your hand. But the backslider in heart is opposite of this. This is the one that has turned his heart away from God. And it says that he shall be filled with his own ways. In other words, you turn away from God, you will get the result that you're looking for. You don't want it, but that's what you're going to get. Proverbs 1, this goes way back to when we started this, verses 29 through 33, says this, For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell, what's that next word? Safely. And shall be quiet from fear of evil. You know the two words I like? Safely and quiet. I just said something. I was sitting in a quiet room the other day, and I said, it seems loud. 
It's, it's the noise of life. There was no other sound, but I said, it seems noisy. Safety. Think about how many times we heard the word safe over the last three months. Safely, safety. And this, the quiet, having a, having a quiet heart. Our hearts are so filled with so many things. And yet, it says in that verse, a good man shall be satisfied from himself. He's satisfied because he's not trusting in his own work. He's not, he's not trusting in his work. He, he's not trusting in anything that he can do. Now remember, I said we, at the outset, we have to remember and distinguish carefully between backsliding and apostasy. They are two different things. The backslider is one who fails to carry out the truth of the profession in his life. The backslider is a believer. Okay? The backslider is a believer. The apostate, on the other hand, is one who gives up the truth entirely. A backslider gives up their heart for a period of time, but the apostate gives up the truth. You see the difference? There's a huge difference. A person is not a believer who's backslidden if they give up the truth entirely. Now friends, I said this six years ago, and the backlash I got, I'm going to say it again. There are people who have convinced themselves that loved ones, family members, friends are just backslidden because they know that sometime during their life they prayed a prayer and they got saved, yet they have not lived for God ever since that day. And they, they've convinced themselves they're just backslidden. For 50 years, they've never wanted the truth. But they prayed a prayer. They're not backslidden. They don't want the truth. There's a big difference in a believing backslidden person, a person who's backslider in heart, and an apostate. Those two thoughts are not, they're not, they're not interchangeable words. An apostate is one who because he or she gives up the truth, they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. You go to a person who prayed a prayer when they were 10, and, they de- and if they deny the Lord Jesus Christ today, they're more than just a backslider. As a matter of fact, John, and we'll read this verse in just a moment, talks about those who went out from them. Again, a person who denies the Lord Jesus Christ proves he or she is in fact false whatever your profession was previously. If I could tell you how many times I've heard that phrase, they're just backslidden in my lifetime. They're just backslidden. Well, that's not good on itself. But even more scary is the backslider is not really what they are. They quite might, in fact, might be apostates. They don't want anything to do with God. Now again, I know some folks who have seen unbelievable heartache. And because of those circumstances, they've been away from God in the the truest sense. Their heart's been away from God for a long, long time. 
But they would never, ever, ever think of denying the Lord Jesus Christ and denying the truth. Now, their heart's been in bad condition because they've never, they've never allowed God to heal their heart. But remember, an apostate is completely different. John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, we'll just read this, read this verse. Again, it's in the, in the whole context here, but I think you'll, you'll see the point here. 1 John 2, verse 19. Now, John's writing in the context of Antichrist. And he says in the, the verse before that, in verse 18, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. This is a verse that refers to apostates. Antichrist. Don't use 1 John 2.19 as a verse for the backslider. That's not about a backslider. That's about, apost- that's about an, apostate, an apostate, not a backslider. To go out from us, don't use that as a church membership verse. This is about apostates. Now, is it true that that person who left could have been an apostate? It could be. But be careful about the terminology that you use. You see, no true believer can ever become an apostate. True believers cannot become an apostate. They just, they cannot do it. That's when even when the, the writer of Hebrews was writing in Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 7, these words about being enlightened by the truth. Hebrews 6, verse, verse 4 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. No true believer becomes an apostate. You see, the good man in Proverbs who is satisfied from himself is a man whose life is controlled in harmony with his testimony. He lives for God, and his living for God is where he gets his satisfaction from. It's not a popular opinion, but I think it's true if you follow it through. Long before the Apostle Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, he was a backslider in heart before that happened. See, Peter, Peter's much like you and I. Peter, David. When David sinned with Bathsheba, something happened to his heart before that even happened. See, we've got we to come face to face with the reality that this backslidden heart starts and the evidence of that heart being backslidden doesn't evidence itself right away. By the time you see it, the heart's already in a backslidden condition. Apostasy, on the other hand, it does begin in the heart, but it shows itself immediately in life and conversation. There may be a backsliding in the heart 
in a heart that does not wickedly depart from God. But it's the result of an infirmity, an affliction, a sorrow of the flesh, or even temptation. Those types of backslidings, that type of a backslider in heart, the, Lord's, the Lord recovers His people from those. They're healed by God's grace. But then there is that person who willfully and heartily says, I want nothing to do with God. Sadly, the Bible says they'll receive the reward of what they want. So what do we, what do, we do? I like what Tozer said, A.W. Tozer. He says, you can blame circumstances, but backsliding always begins in the heart. We can say the circumstances made me do it, but a backslidden, backsliding began in the heart, giving up that ground. Tough stuff. <laughs> Deep stuff. But I hope it's helpful. I hope it, I hope it challenges us and reminds us of some great things tonight. We're going to read from our Valley of Vision, 200, page 254, chapter 5, entitled, To Be Fit for God. It says, Thou maker and sustainer of all things, day and night are thine, heaven and earth declare thy glory. But I, a creature of thy power and bounty, have sinned against thee by resisting the dictates of conscience, the demands of thy law, the calls of the gospel. Yet I live under the dispensation of a given hope. Deliver me from worldly dispositions, for I am born from above and bound for glory. May I view and long after holiness as the beauty and dignity of the soul. Let me never slumber, never lose my assurance, never fail to wear armor when passing through enemy land. Fit me for every scene and circumstance. Stay my mind upon thee and turn my trials to blessings, that they may draw out my gratitude and praise as I see their design and effects. Render my obedience to thy holy will natural and delightful. Rectify all my principles by clear, consistent, and influential views of divine truth. Let me never undervalue or neglect any part of thy revealed will. May I duly regard the doctrine and practice of the gospel, prizing its commands as well as its promises. Sanctify me in every relation, office, transaction, and condition of life, that if I prosper, I may not be unduly exalted. If I suffer, I may not be over-sorrowful. Balance my mind in all varying circumstances and help me to cultivate a disposition that renders every duty a spiritual privilege. Thus may I be content, be a glory to thee, and an example to others. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed this evening. Thank you for being here. And before we pray, we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday. And uh, trust we'll have a few more with us on Sunday and we'll continue to move in the right direction. All right, let's pray tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in the Word. And Lord, I, I could try to attempt to say many things as we close, but Lord, your Word has spoken. The Holy Spirit has convicted us and challenged us, encouraged us. I pray now we go willfully yielding ourselves up 
to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts and in our minds. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone that's been able to be here tonight and those that have joined us by live stream. And Lord, we pray for this coming Lord's Day that we prepare our hearts for worship, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. We thank you and praise you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here.